Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the Deputy Editor-in-Chief Critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our Editor-at-Large. Still lingering in New York on the way back to Cannes. How are you uh, adjusting to uh, a normal sleep cycle? the way back from Cannes. Yeah. Oh, God. I still talk like you somebody who's getting back through there. it. Oh, no. Maybe, give, give me a year and I'll, I'll be ready for it. But I always come out of that experience slightly disoriented about which direction I'm heading at any given point in time. I mean, yeah, really, you know. it's exhausting. I mean, people think it's very glamorous, and it is, it is. It is. And I love being there. I enjoy it. But you come out of there, especially given the demands of IndieWire, which requires that we all churn out, you guys, especially the reviewers, have to churn out so much copy while you're there, as well as seeing all the films. So it's and doing interviews. You did an interview with Nick Cage, I saw. Well, I spoke to some people about Nick Cage. He wasn't there, unfortunately, but he was he was a hot item on the market. And I, and it's funny because juggling stories like that on the same timeline as seeing a new Spike Lee film, a, a new Lars von Trier film, and then you know this great Chinese film from a 28-year-old working in 3D. It's like so much to process on each thing on its own terms is a lot to process. So to do that in a compressed timeline, is, it's, it's kind of otherworldly. And it's very energizing and I think, you know, kind of a, a, a beautiful thing when you, when, you, when you get it right. But it's just, you know, your mind was not created to process all this stuff at once. So it takes some time to come back to a normal cycle, which is kind of where we're at right now. But the funny thing is we saw so much at Cannes that it's going to take us a long time to unpack this stuff because so there were we're so many movies. So we're processing it and we're figuring it out and we're looking at it a little more uh, analytically and and letting it settle a little bit. For example, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do, when I get back, I'm going to do a piece that lines lines up all the foreign films that that are likely to be to become their country's Oscar submissions and you know if you do really well at at Cannes and you get picked up by a North American distributor and other distributors around the world you you have a better chance of being the chosen one unless you're Israel they the Ofer winner gets the Oscar submission that's the way it works but in general we can assume that uh, a lot of these movies, the Palme d'Or winner, especially shoplifters, would would be the Japanese entry. They they don't always behave uh, logically. These countries they often err and go the other way, um, and you can't count on anything, especially with a country like France. Um, where there's a lot more movies in contention. Um, but I do think uh, we'll probably see Lebanon submitting uh, Kafarnam, the jury prize winner. Um, and obviously Cold Iraqi. War is a no-brainer. That was the first one out of the gate for, for Poland. Poland. Yeah. But uh, it is interesting, too, because usually you come out of Cannes and there's a couple of different awards conversations to be had, maybe a few performance things, you know, a Carol type of a movie that comes out of it that could be a best picture contender. We knew early on that that seemed unlikely. That didn't look likely. And And I didn't even think Black Klansman was likely, but now I do. Yeah, I know. A lot of you guys... Because it looks like it's going to be a big hit. It's going to do well. It's going to hit Zeitgeist. And I think Spike... People are rooting for Spike Lee. You think you know? about it. I mean, right. it was so so. It was su- such the right moment for a Spike Lee comeback. The narrative was there. The fact right. that Monkey Paul was involved in the movie really delivered, I think, on that narrative in in just the right way. It was so interesting the way that it was programmed too. It was like that weekend was a little slow, and then all of a sudden on Monday, Black Klansman lands, and it's like this flashpoint. 
really helped it stand out. So, and it's a great August release too. I mean, it can be a commercial. Well, it's movie. on the anniversary. Um, so, so it, it of makes the, of, of, the, of the Charlottesville, yeah. uh, which inspired uh, Spike to to change the ending and put put that into to the ending of the film. He's funny. I I like him so much, and it's fun to see him happy. You know, he was just ebullient and really pleased. I know by not a lot thing. of fighting going on. Even he even won. His, he uh, got a prize. He the second prize for the whole festival. I mean, he. He he uh, he might have fantasized about winning the big one, but I, I think this was the perfect prize for him. And and I think Adam Driver might be a supporting actor contender. Um, you know. Well, the yeah. The good thing about the Adam attention. Yeah, Adam Driver. It's interesting because what what his character does in Black Klansman is it helps take this issue that is is, is very important from you know, the African-American experience perspective and broadens it because he's a, this conflicted Jewish character. And it, and it, it opens up the, the Spike Lee brand a little bit in a way that usually when, when he's working in this political vein, you don't see. And so I think that's going to be really interesting to hear that part of the conversation play out a little bit. Black Klansman is not just about black identity. And no, in, in fact, respect. what's really great about it is, it is that it unleashes this torrent of words that's why I think the screenplay could actually be a contender. Um, it's a it's an extraordinary um, uh, just layer after layer of recognition of what this hate speak sounds like and how it can be used. And when different people are using it for different reasons, as as this guy is trying to infiltrate the KKK does, it forces you to just hear the language and spike goes to town with the with the colorful language and the and and the taboo language it's just it's just extraordinary and i think other people will experience it as a kind of liberating uh, weirdly uh, cathartic kind of experience but don't you think Eric? yeah i mean i think that it's because it's it's fun it's fun this is what i expected and people were asking me early on do you think this movie's going to be good i said i think it's going to be entertaining he's always been a great entertainer i've seen all of his movies, including the ones of the last few years made on a shoestring that don't entirely hold together, but they still have that spark of, of, of kind of, he's, he is a very visual, entertaining, kind of showman type of filmmaker with ideas, and those two things in tandem is really what makes the brand so exciting. You know, to feel like you're in a Spike film is, is like nothing else. It's like Spielberg or anybody else. With that it's a, kind of he is. He is an, an entirely unique um, and, and, and identifiable uh, brand. And I think that this movie is perfect for him. And that's what Jordan Peele's genius was, was to recognize that he was the perfect person to direct this movie and yeah. rewrite it. Yeah, and, and, I, and, and I, he think, did. I think it's also notable that Spike has had this weird relationship to the recognition for his work. He's, you know, He talked a lot about at a young age, being robbed of the palm d'or because Vim Vendors was the president of the jury and gave it to Sex, Lies, and Videotape or whatever. Also, the guy's never won an Oscar in spite of all this stuff, aside from his honorary Oscar. And I, I went down this rabbit hole of old Spike clips after he did that really dramatic press conference this year where he went off on Trump, which I, I thought was just like really remarkable. You forget he is really a great performer. And I started, I started looking at all these clips. And there's some really interesting stuff when Oscars So White kind of blew up, where he was out there and said he wasn't going to the Oscars, but he wasn't telling people to boycott the Oscars. And he kind of left right. the door open to having that 
relationship, he didn't want to create this sense of this estrangement. And I think that was a very canny thing because there is now not a narrative in which Spike Lee is basically saying, I don't need the Academy. He can, he can still be part of that game. And now this year we'll be playing it for, for many months. It sounds well, like. he's a wily, wily, uh, as, as, as Ava DuVernay, of course, was on, was on the jury and said very nice things about the movie. He's, he's smart the way she is about keeping the brand alive and knowing how to capitalize on big moments and knowing how to go for the big win. And he was so happy to be in Cannes as, as a winner. And he now has momentum. And I think there's enough. This is one of the cases where doing really well at Cannes creates a kind of momentum that takes you into box office uh, territory that might be bigger than it otherwise would have been, a receptive uh, environment for critics and others to write about the film, and also move it into uh, the fall conversation, uh, which I'm sure I'm sure it will. Um, and, and I think that, that the um, other ones that might end up in the race are Columbia's Birds of Passage, which you saw from Ciro Guerra. Um, I would imagine that they would submit that film. It would make then, sense. I mean, he, he got nominated the last time, and he's sort of the most prominent Colombian filmmaker. Exactly, exactly. And it's a pretty then, good movie. Yeah, and, you know, Embrace of the Serpent was, was well regarded. And then you have Belgium's Girl, which won the Camera d'Or and the Uncertain Regard Performance Award, um, which uh, is a transgender movie. And that and, went to Netflix, so they yeah. could actually do a real campaign for it. I mean, Netflix got its first foreign language nomination last year for Body and Soul. So, you know, this is actually, that was a weird movie. This one is much more accessible. I mean, it's just a very straightforward character study in certain ways. A very radical performance about a transgender experience, but uh, still. But that's one of those movies that built up an enormous amount of buzz at Cannes from being in in a sidebar. You know, so that that yes. was you know that was one of those movies people went out of their way to to catch up with. And then and then you've got. Uh, do you think Turkey will submit your fave, The you Wild Pear <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I mean, I don't know enough about his standing there and the government's relationship to his work and all of that kind of, kind of you know, web of political concerns. The movie Me is is, Actually, is very satisfying. It's it's a it's a it's just a striking accomplishment in the sense that it is so uncompromising and yet also I think very under uh, tangible. It's a it's a three hour, 15 minute, whatever it is, drama about a guy, but it's just got some, it's punctured with moments of humor. At the center of it is a father-son kind of bonding story. So it is accessible. It's not the kind of thing that I see being a big part of the awards race. It certainly didn't work for this jury, which had a range of different options. Not that that's the only telltale sign, but I, I, that's not the one I would see, you know, really getting a lot of momentum past can, well, I would say that that's not one that would play well, particularly well, with the Academy voters. I don't know how you so, do that. Who's so going to stick around, kind of, unfortunately? Kind of the way it goes. So then you have Kenya, which um, has banned the filmmaker um, who made Rafiki, uh, even though... Um, well, the film, the, the film is. This is, is the right? the next, yeah. So, what do you think? I mean, it would it would so be. How could that even work? They can't. Sub, there's obviously not going to submit it, right? There I mean, is a submitting committee. So, if they were able to go, like, remember in Russia, you would have expected them not to submit. 
Zviaginsev, and they did. So it's a question of whether or not the committee is allowed to be independent. In Brazil, it went the other way. Um, so uh, with Aquarius, uh, they did not submit Aquarius. Um, so these things happen. And then there's Egypt, where A.B. Shockey's The Amadine, which I thought was a great debut movie, and I think we'll be hearing more from from that director. Um, uh, there's sort of there's sort of three movies uh, in, that are that are like you know poverty porn movies this year. Yeah. and shoplifters. You gotta be careful with that label though, because it's Caparna. not exactly. Why an is that? What is the what is the issue for you? Uh, well, it, it seems to describe them in a way. It's it's usually because you're going for, you're going for this kind of uh, shock value that comes from depicting people who are ridiculously poverty-stricken. But to me, the, the tendency to attach porn to the end of something like that is, it, it's more of a, a sort of to say that it, it's, it's simplifying it to the level of spectacle. So poverty porn makes it sound like it's almost like turning into this exotic thing for your entertainment value. I'm not sure that's exactly no. the category I would you want to put it's a genre. Into. I would suggest that it's a subset of, of Well, it's the, like these, these neo, the Italian neorealism. In reality genre. Um, and, the, and the reason you stick porn on there is to suggest that there's 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 a trend, that there's, there's a, a lot of it. That it's it's a, it, is an, it is a way of sensationalizing uh, some kind of... of behavior inside this world i i i i i, I should i i just they're think not going to put it in a trailer let's put it that way them. yeah, that, <laughs> yeah there there is something the there leper colony uh movie is what this is yeah you know i i understand the 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 connection being drawn here it's it's that there there were a series of movies that are drawing attention to uh, people from lower class backgrounds around the world, and 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 sort of. We're not talking lower class. We're talking lowest case possible. Right, and, and sort of foregrounding their their the the most extreme problems that they're they're suffering with as sort of a microcosm of other things going on in the society as a whole. And uh, there there is maybe something zeitgeisty about that about dr showing the universality of those struggles in different kinds of cultures. And so there there that's kind of an interesting trend to extrapolate having seen those movies and uh, oh, I don't you know. know that the reasons why people are attracted to those uh, subjects is because it puts people through extraordinary trials and and tribulations that they have to survive and uh, these are very very much uh, that kind of movie that's what drama is made from but they they just do seem to inhabit a niche together well don't to forget say. the film that won the palm d'or falls in line with this as well and it's choreated shoplifters that. no that's yeah. one of the ones i mean Absolutely. i i we talked about this before right. but but what i think is really striking about that movie is that it's it's less about uh, just people kind of kind of trying to get by, and more about people kind of working the system in a way. There's kind of the, the the reveals of the plot show they're they're one step ahead of you as a viewer. And what's kind of interesting about that's it what's is great it, about yeah, it. it's not just about kind of you know living with these people and their struggles. It's about how they are sort of figuring out a way to deal with something that the society has not allowed them to get out of, you know, how to, how to kind of 
con, you know, it's like a con family essentially, and, and the way they've sort of conned the system is is what makes the movie so involving because you're gradually starting to understand more specifics about it as the movie moves forward. That one I really loved. I mean, it's just it's just such an incredible feat of storytelling, and I thought it was his best movie. So it was, I think, very smart on the part of the jury to distribute the awards the way that they did. Oh, I think they did a film. great job, but they did leave out uh, the the uh, Lee Chang Lee Chang Dong's burning. Yeah, that's a, I think not a movie for everybody. I mean, I no, just, it's, no, it's the a, critics that was very much of a critics' favorite. I was. It must I have been the weakest also, of the of the group. Exactly, uh, something was going to struggle with with right. that. And then the other thing I thought was interesting is this special Palm d'Or for Jean Luc Godard, which is a way. It's almost like a repudiation of Terry Fromo and his selection committee saying, "You know, this movie did not need to be in competition. It's like a non-narrative mishmash of film clips with Godard's voiceover. It's a very cool." experience but you don't put Godard in competition like that with these other kinds of movies you give Godard his own space so who's so, saying that well, you I, that, or them to, to are me, you guessing is, that this, this is was, what they're saying I don't I'm, understand well, what I'm saying is that, that this was my reaction when I saw it and I and the this quote, you think quote, that the jury agrees with your I take think on they this would. I think they would because Why they, no, no, no. They're giving it an award. But they gave They're it a special they it gave a it an award that didn't exist. Award. It never existed. It's, they made up an award I understand, for it. but they're not necessarily saying that it didn't belong in the competition by giving it an award. Yeah, this is my, my takeaway from that award. I don't agree with that at all. I don't, no, I don't but, see what information you have that would lend such a... Uh, well, did lend, you see the movie? No, I, think that, I have no that's idea the what the jury thought of this movie. I, I have no I, idea. I would have loved to be a fly on the wall. I'm sure it really divided people. And I think it, based on what they said at the press conference, it sounds like not only did it divide them, but they kept talking about it for a long period of time. I'm sure there were some people, there are some people who can't stand Godard, and they don't I understand. Let's bring up another issue about this movie. Apparently, it is not going to be shown in theaters in France. Which is a reason why it should not have been in the competition. Well, yeah, there it's interesting. I mean, that are shown that are not don't have distributors yet, and you don't know what distribution they're going to have. And you know, the Netflix rule is assuming in advance that it won't have a theatrical, that it will never have a theatrical play. But there are movies that show up in Cannes that get picked up by people that are not going to show it in theaters, and therefore. You, you know what I mean? It's a, it doesn't I mean, make, the, the, the it hypocrisy, doesn't make sense. If the, if the point you're making is that there's a hypocrisy behind the can rule about distribution in France, of course there is. The whole reason this rule was created was because powerful French exhibitors who see Netflix as an existential threat want to keep Netflix away from can. And the real truth of the matter, according to to the uh, to the head of of Unifrance, is that there, in fact, there are going to be rule changes and law changes, and they are going to be bringing the windows down, not to a ninety day level like the U.S., but to a four to six month level, and and that's what the exhibitors are facing in in real life. Yeah, it's. I just find this this whole thing. I mean. Going through Cannes this year and and seeing the the gaps and talking to people about it, it's just it's just so frustrating on both sides. Everybody screwed up, and the, and it has to be resolved somehow. Whether it's an extension of this window, which sounds virtually impossible in the near future, or some other kinds of rule changes, it just doesn't. No, nobody benefited from all of this, and the the kind of attempts by Netflix to continue to have a pre presence at Cannes just added an additional layer to the whole narrative of. These people are sort of competing to show who, you know, 
who's got more prominence on the scene or something. I mean, it, well, it I need think to be that, like I, that if I were, I, I know what you're saying. I was reading it. It was very clear that Netflix was trying to, to buy some movies so that they could, and they managed to get two that, that were in the final award winner uh, category. Um, and they didn't get others. Um, and the big theatrical people did get ones that Netflix didn't get. And partly because they were offering theatrical. Theatrical is still a premium thing. Yeah. It is still, you could argue that the films that Netflix got are the ones that are less theatrically uh, surefire. You could yeah. argue yeah. that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, and they were very strange. I mean, Girl, I can kind of see because the company had some success with foreign language last year. And it is a big buyer for foreign language film. Happy as Lazar, that's a 35 millimeter big screen experience that just feels like the kind of thing that benefits from that sort of treatment. And look, a year ago at Cam, the movie The Writer, one director's Fortnite, went on to play at Sundance, get an independent spirit nomination, then opened in theaters, is still playing theaters doing well if that had been a netflix movie and just gone on nobody would have ever heard yeah i I agree and the director wouldn't have had the kind of profile that she now has exactly going forward and you you look at the acquisitions for films out of the festival this year the wacky genre film border from uncertain that one uncertain regard or catherine noe's climax these are movies that are going to have interesting lives in theaters they're talk they're movies that get people talking and uh, and and it's not it's, it's and I yet think- and and yet I would say that that each of the distributors that did buy something ended up paying a premium for what they had what they bought they they ended up paying more you know I don't think I don't think Sony Pictures Classics was all that thrilled about the price that they had to pay to get Capernaum you know yeah. before they even saw it and you know them you know how careful they are about right. that knowing was a lot something of money. is going to play you know so. I mean, you know, something like 1.2 million. That's a lot for them. Right. I, I, I for think that it's, movie. Uh, maybe the, you know, one of the more interesting big wins is, is actually Magnolia getting shoplifters because that's a really good fit for that movie. But the and, price went up on that too. Of I mean, that, that's, that, they, they ended up spending more than they would have liked. Um, and that's just the, the, the brutal. And even, even focus features with everybody knows that's the most commercial movie of, of all the foreign language films. I think, and it's doing really well in France. Yeah, so. I mean, that's a movie that could also be, I mean, it, it, it'll be the Iranian submission, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out as it continues to screen around. I mean, I think it's a good By movie. By the way, that is a fait accompli that it will be the Iranian submission. I um, talked to some other people about that who think it, it would likely be more likely to be the Spanish submission, and they're not sure that it fulfills all the Iranian... Uh, you know what it, it, You have to have a certain number of elements, including, I mean, the fact Financing that he's an Iranian and, director yeah. is, a, is an element, but it, it, it may not be enough. It makes more so sense not, from that's Spain not a, that's anyway. A, that, that was an option that somebody posited, uh, but I don't know that it's going to happen that way. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. So there's another Cam movie we should probably discuss because it's actually opening this week. A little, a little uh, foreign language effort called Solo. I guess it's foreign if you're not from the United States. <laughs> Hard to imagine like, considering that a Can uh, movie, but yes, of course it did play there. Well after. It's uh, American junket and and everything else. All the premieres in America had played out. Yeah, it was I, weird I, to watch I, it. Solo there. was for me a very disappointing movie, and it made me realize that 
so far, I have enjoyed the Star Wars movies a lot. The new round, the post-J.J. Abrams round of Star, Star Wars movies. And that this one, um, you know, I'm not expecting that much from these movies, but they've been generally very entertaining and fun, and they haven't gone wrong. Um, and this one really wasn't that it went wrong as much as it felt like a pale, diluted, tepid kind of interpretation, uh, you know, of an origin myth for Han Solo. It didn't, it felt so derivative of, of the Star Wars movies without breaking any new ground or making anything exciting happen. It really wasn't very exciting. I was very bored. Yeah, the whole movie is an argument against its existence. That's basically what it comes down to. It's like, you feel like, okay, so maybe Lord and Miller were doing something weird tonally that that wasn't working in the context of this big production or whatsoever. Yeah, that's what we keep hearing. But at least that that suggests they were trying to shake something up that's been done so many times before. And and I've said this already to a couple of I swear to God. It it felt to me like this movie was an algorithm, like what would a young Han Solo look and sound like and what would he look like flying the Millennium Falcon? And then you just kind of watch that stuff happen. It just felt like, but it was so inevitable that we would get to this point where Disney has access to all these different Star Wars possibilities. For years and years and years, people talk about, you know, wouldn't it be nice to color in the backstory of this person or that person? Now we're starting to see that. And you recognize that maybe having that gap, not knowing what that story looks like, is part of what makes the story so powerful in the first place. Because you meet Han Solo and he's got this very colorful backstory. You don't need to see the first time he meets Chewbacca because... The bond is there, and you, your mind. Well, fills I in disagree those gaps. with you there. I think oh, the most no. satisfying relationship in the movie. And by the way, I don't have fault with any of the actors except for the one that was cast by Ron Howard, which was the obvious villain, Paul Bettany. He was supposed to be played by someone else who Michael couldn't Williams. do it. Yeah. And and well, he'd so already done it. It would have been back. a lot yeah. more interesting in my humble up. And and I just feel like Paul Bettany was my least favorite thing about this but but having worked with Ron Howard before he was an easy thing for him to do but I actually I actually think that Chewbacca and Han is the best relationship the best bromance in the whole thing that there was something unexpected about how they met how they got together and I actually think the the actor who played him did a great job really great job with him he's fun I enjoyed Chewbacca yeah I just uh, I don't know I, I, I didn't need it. I, I, I felt like, it, yes, it, it is a great pairing because that was a very inspired idea to pair those characters together. I mean, Han Solo is a great character. Chewbacca is a great character. So they better get that chemistry right. It's got they, decades in, behind in, it. In this case, I think what was fun about it was that they enriched it. And, and in a similar vein, I actually think having him be besotted with Amelia Clark was fun and have, and she was great. And having, having him go up against Lando was great. And, and Donald Glover did a great job with him, although it felt like we didn't get quite enough and hopefully we will get more. There are all sorts of promises of possible spinoffs and so forth. But, but, it, but the, the stuff that got bogged down for me was all the plotting, all here, they have to go here, they have to get that, they have to bomb that, they have to survive that, they have to go through this 
you know, ordeal to get to that place. This, this kind of thing was where I, I just, my eyes just glazed over because I didn't care. Well, I didn't give a shit. There's, there's something really interesting about that that I just thought about right now, which is, you know, when we heard that Ryan Johnson was going to do more Star Wars movies with totally original characters, that was on on the one hand kind of frustrating because you want somebody like that to kind of move beyond the Star Wars universe. But watching something like this, you think, well, maybe that's what Star Wars needs is original characters because going back and doing the origin myths and so forth, it, it just it, it's, it's, it's just harder to make it interesting. It's less interesting. And then the other the other aspect of it that you're that you're reminding me of is that I think that the the Lucasfilm people are have probably been a little shaken by a lot of the reaction against Ryan Johnson's uh, Star Wars, and and I loved it, and I applauded everything he did. I was I was enchanted by all the new stuff that he put up there that I'd never seen before. I didn't have that feeling in this movie. This movie felt really old, retread, familiar to me, and and I I I understand that the projections for the box office are down from the other Star Wars new movies, that this is not going to open at the same levels and isn't going to perform at the same levels. Even with the Memorial Day weekend, you know, kind of built-in thing, which you think would actually help something like this. It just it'll really... be a big movie. It'll, it'll do very well. Um, you still have Deadpool 2. I mean, on a $250 million. Because yeah. they ended up going four months extending uh to me it just feels like they weren't willing to take any chances and they played it safe and ron mm -hmm. howard pulled it out but in effect they were playing it safe yeah it's unfortunate but you know with this thing there's more star wars movies to come at the very least you can assume the studio will take into account these sorts of issues and hopefully that'll yield some better decisions although you know i'm not holding my breath until i see that third star wars movie and whatever else is in play well i can't wait to see what jj abrams comes yeah. back with because i actually have a lot of faith in him well he gets along favorite. with people and he wants to he wants to make the fans happy while but he knows how to do both he knows yeah. how to take chances and make them happy he gets it there's something intuitive about the way that he understands how how to satisfy all the different contingents, um, and yeah, and yeah. you know I I you know I I I, I give him points for that. Yeah, I still think Last Jedi is a little bit better than The Force Awakens, but that's neither here nor there at this point. Ryan Johnson's off doing his own thing. So um, should we talk a little bit about the revelations related to Morgan Freeman that are breaking this week? It's not the most it's exciting so post camp. Sad, I know. I know. I mean, it's so interesting. I mean, the whole thing with the women at Cannes and Asia Argento um, making a speech at the at the awards and then feeling like nobody gave her any support except Spike Lee. That was a very know? powerful. I, I I mean, I, I give her kudos for it. I was very impressed. With yeah, and then and then you have you know more reverberations coming out of this Jessica Walter thing from Arrested Development and, and this story where, you know, all these people on the show didn't quite support her assertion that, that he, um, well, they were supporting Jeffrey Tambor, Tambor treated more. her worse yeah. than, you know, anyone had ever treated her in her entire career. And, and now they're backpedaling and they're all saying, we really meant to support her. <laughs> well, it's like you saw this absurd. illustration in real time of how, uh, you know, you have this group out. of men and they're sort of, they're, they're supporting the man 
rather right. than the victim with That's the victim right. there. I mean, it was just like it's classic tone deaf, just classic. And then so so then you end up with this revelation. Uh, you know, then there's the thing about Meryl Streep. There's a book about um, uh, Meryl Streep, and 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 there's revelations about how Dustin Hoffman behaved toward her on the set of Kramer versus Kramer. Now we've heard some of this before. They didn't get along, and she felt hit upon by him and you know he didn't he wouldn't talk to her and all this stuff well you know so that's playing out again you know and now morgan freeman now the point i would make about morgan freeman is that there's a real problem for him however whatever the truth of this turns out to be um which is that he is a brand that is totally based upon being uh, having integrity and being uh, a, an honorable moral character, he played God in a movie. He, he the way he's used it. It, it was a pretty silly performance. For these, but, I'm yeah. I'm just saying, you know, that he, you know, what I'm saying. He's he's a, he's a model. Of, you know, he played um, Nelson Mandela. You know, I mean, these are the these are yeah, the things yeah. that go on with him. And 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 you, you know, he's supposed to be heroic and honorable and noble and 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 unassailable. It's been a while since he and it's not really took that stuff seriously, though. I mean, he kind of became a a meme more than a serious actor in recent years. I wouldn't years. say that. I That's think he's a very good actor. I'm not going to I'm not going to put down the man's acting, uh-huh. but I will say that this is a case where uh, you know, let me put it another way. Someone like Kevin Spacey it, it plays villains anyway, you know. <laughs> he's a, or, this is a man that plays heroes. And and I think that I and think he is that his a hero brand his brand has been tarnished. Oh yeah, I mean this he's it's, he's up in the Dustin Hoffman level and to some degree. I mean they're both yeah. in their eighties and at a certain stage of their career where it's like they you know he could have retired a decade ago and still be considered an icon right now. Um, the movies he has in the pipeline don't look particularly promising, so it's sort of like he's peaked in a way. And um, and now it's there's going to be this sort of repudiation of the legacy as a whole, and all this art versus artist stuff is gonna it's just gonna keep coming up in different kinds of situations. But in this particular one, it's also it's a real challenge because, free, as you say, he's a hero to people. He's also somebody who you can trot out on stage and and have a certain resonance if you need to, you know, say something at the Oscars or wherever it is. And now what will not have that resonance, and that's sort of what. That's a new challenge, I think, for a lot of people to deal with culturally is when somebody at that level suddenly cannot represent what they have represented. So it'll be interesting to hear how these conversations develop. And I'm sure And then there's the old uh, Woody Allen thing has another chapter playing out now with uh, Moses Farrow coming to his defense and explaining how it would be impossible for Alan to have molested his seven-year-old daughter, Dylan, and how Mia Farrow uh, physically and emotionally abused her children uh, over the... He's 40 now. He's a professional family therapist, and he posted on his blog, A Son Spicks Out. And I read the whole thing, and, you know, it's pretty damning. And it, it also goes into the children who were adopted by Mia who died and committed suicide. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, it's twisty. really grim. The whole thing just ma- makes you want to take a shower. I mean, it's really upsetting overall because you know there's so much dysfunction here. And, and reading it, it's like you feel Moses' pain because 
whatever his arguments are supporting his father, he also acknowledges how much pain his father caused to the family by, you know, dating this woman who was essentially his sister. I mean, that all the, it's just it's too close. It was a stepsister I mean, who had been, yes, you know, Mia, still, Pre, uh, Mia's ex-husband, Andre Previn's daughter, et cetera, you know. So and you don't want to be this, uh, personally, I don't want to be that And then there are all these points about how he never stayed in the house and he yeah. never slept over and they were never, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's all, it's a, it's a very complicated thing and it, an unfortunate thing. And I just wonder when I read that, it's like, was this just Moses? taking a stand because of what he's seeing about his father or is it also something where all of a sudden Woody Allen just can't make a movie and it's reached that point where Mo somebody like Moses who's kept in the shadows for so long about this felt like he needed to say something because that side of things has started to have an effect like Woody Allen cannot his last movie is, is done and, and we don't even know if that'll ever come out it might just get dumped on Amazon VOD or something like that so it is kind of an open question in that regard. And uh, I don't know. I guess we'll see. So next week, uh, you'll be back from your vacation. Sorry to interrupt it for this conversation. But My we'll have, pleasure. Uh, plenty more to discuss. Summer movie season is upon us, so we can take a breather from Cannes and uh, try to pretend the fall isn't right around the corner. All right. Enjoy your time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.